Thanks, guys. Good morning, everybody. How are all of you doing? It's great to see you. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the members of the preaching team here at Branches, if you don't know me. Um, I'm excited to share something that's been on my heart recently. And we're going to do that in just a minute. But I want you to, if you will, imagine this. It's a hot day, summer, in the 1990s. Mikey's a little guy, littler. I wasn't little in my class. But anyway, littler, right? Maybe 10, 8 or 10. My family and friends and I are packed into my dad's 1988 Astro van. You guys remember those? Yeah. They were sweet. I loved them. Because they had these windows on the side that kind of kicked out. And they would gush air back into the very back seat. And like I always loved sitting back there in that blast of air. So anyway, um, my family and friends and I are packed into this van and we're going down the road when all of a sudden this big fat yellow bumblebee flies in through the open window It goes straight for my sister. It goes straight for my sister's face. And it lands, I kid you not, on her open eyeball. Everyone loses their minds. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, my sister is screaming and flailing trying to get the bee off, but it wouldn't come off. My mom... She was buckled into the front passenger seat and she's trying to get it off too, but she's restrained. She can't turn all the way around. So all she's accomplishing is slapping my sister in the face repeatedly. I can see it all really clearly. It's like time slowed down, you know? Everyone just freaking out. My sister was okay though. Like the bee didn't sting her, it came off of her eye, kind of floated around amiably, and then headed straight back toward me, right? But by then, my dad had slammed on the brakes, the side door kind of magically flung open, and all of us kids in the back, we tumbled out into this field on the side of the road. Whole thing took maybe about 60 seconds. Maybe. It felt like hours. Everybody was okay, you know, nobody got stung. We climbed back in, and we continued on to wherever. I honestly cannot remember where we were going. It was supposed to be someplace exciting. We got to invite friends with us. We didn't do that very often. But I don't remember that. All I remember is that yellow bee on my sister's eye. That's all I can remember. I was thinking back on that story this week and it it reminded me of a famous saying of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye or the raging bumblebee in your sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? I'd like to read the rest of that teaching to you if that's okay. You're here for it, so it's gotta be okay, right? Let's set the stage for the Sermon on the Mount so that we can kind of understand the context of what we're reading, though. So the Sermon on the Mount, it's pretty famous. I'm sure we're all sort of familiar with it. The Sermon on the Mount is like the constitution document of the kingdom of God. 
Like our country has a constitution. It describes the role of the three branches of government, their powers, their limitations, checks and balances, how the government works. So the Sermon on the Mount is kind of the same thing. It describes how the kingdom of God works and how God's kingdom people should live within it. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to this large crowd of people who have been following him around the countryside in Galilee, being healed by him, being fed by him, listening to his teachings. That's in Matthew 4. And that leads us up into Matthew 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. So, in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, as the Constitution document starts to come to its climax, Jesus tells the crowd that God's kingdom people do not judge. Do not judge, he says, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and by the measure you use, it will be used to measure you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is this big old plank in your own? He said big old. That's in the original Greek. You hypocrite, he says. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers. Right? I think we've all heard that before, maybe. Somewhere along the way. We are kingdom citizens, you guys. We are kingdom citizens. We are brothers and sisters in God's family. Our allegiance is not to any party or any philosophy, but first to each other. Our allegiance is to each other and to the king. And what the king tells us is very stark and very clear, and it's a hard teaching. It's way harder than it first appears because... If our primary allegiance really is to the family of God, if we are citizens in the kingdom of Jesus, then we may not judge one another harshly. That's the first two verses in Matthew 7. Do not judge, he says, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and by the measure you use, it will be used to measure you. We live in a hugely divided time. That's no secret. Jesus' words are hard for us because they confront our worst impulses. You know? Like judging others comes so easily to us right now, doesn't it? It's the easiest thing in the world to do. It's kind of fun, too. You ever read the comments on Ink Free News? You ever do that? It's kind of fun, and then it gets depressing for whichever side you have fallen on in today's various crises, various issues. Judging others is so easy right now because like, I'm fully convinced that I am correct about how to live wisely in a coronavirus world or in a racially unjust world. 
fully convinced, and so are you. But we might not agree. That's the rub. That's the wrinkle. Not all of God's kingdom people agree about what most protects life right now, about whose lives need to matter the most right now. We don't agree. So let's say that you are objectively right about those issues. Your stance is ultimately the right one. And I am objectively wrong by all standards of decency, by God's own standards that are very easily discoverable in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Even if you're right and I'm wrong, guess what? You may not judge me harshly, nor I you. Jesus is telling us that we must be merciful to one another. That's what it means when he says, do not judge. He's saying, have mercy. Have mercy. Because in God's world, what you plant is what you're going to get back. Right? Like, we have a garden in our home. My wife loves tomatoes. I hate tomatoes. I think they're the worst. I don't know why God made them. Maybe to discipline me to make me grow from my earlier self to a better self, a more Christ-like self. I don't know why he made tomatoes, but he did, right? My wife loves tomatoes. If she wants a tomato, she's not going to plant an apple seed, right? That would be lunacy. (laughs) Why would you do that? What you plant in this world is what you're going to get back. If you want a tomato, what kind of seed are you supposed to plant? If you want mercy, what kind of seed should you plant? We reap what we sow. It's the law of the land, and this is precisely what Jesus is talking about. So, what is the only sane action in a world where you receive back what you plant in it? Plant mercy in others. Harvest mercy for ourselves. In verses three and four, Jesus continues, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the beam of wood, the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a big old plank in your own? Why can't we judge people harshly? when we disagree with them? Why can't we gossip or hate on those people who chant black lives matter or all lives matter or blue lives matter? Because we are all the same broken messes deep down. You want to know the secret to what Jesus is saying here? We have all got planks in our eyes. Every single one of us. Every single listener, every modern reader of Jesus' words is meant to put themselves in the place of the planker. It's a theological word, planker. 
The truth is I couldn't think of anything else to call it. So planker it is. We are all the plankers, man. That's who we are. Because think about it for just a second. Are you supposed to put yourself in the place of the dude with the speck in his eye? No, that would be to miss the whole point of what Jesus is saying. What if we have all gone wrong somewhere along the way? You know? Like, if that is true, then it's only when we reflect on ourselves that we then find empathy for others. And more importantly, that we are humbled. And we realize that there is no such thing as others. It's just us. That realization only comes when we honestly reflect on ourselves. When we do that, Jesus will continue on in verse 5. He says, that we are then enabled to offer assistance to those in need, right? You hypocrite, he says. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers. So real quick, a hypocrite in the first century Greek culture was a stage actor. Hypocrite is a transliteration of the, the actual Greek words, right? It just means actor, stage actor. Someone who wore a theater mask and pretended not to be themselves. That's why we have the word today. Jesus says, take off your mask. Not you guys, though. You guys keep your masks right where they are. Please. If you're wearing them, keep them on. He's saying, quit pretending that all is well and deal with what has gone wrong inside of you. Because only once that's dealt with can you hope to offer assistance to somebody else, right? It's this verse that made me remember the bee on my sister's eye. I was thinking about how my mom was buckled in up front and she was reaching back trying to get this thing off my sister's eye. But all she was doing was just slapping her in the face. She was restrained by the belt but she couldn't get the bee off of my sister's eye. When we try to fix what we think is wrong in someone else without first reflecting upon ourselves and what's holding us back, all we do is slap somebody in the face. It's just a slap in the face. You ever try to assist somebody by correcting what they believe? Telling them, you know, you're wrong, but don't worry, because I'm here. <laughs> How does that ever go for you? It's never gone well for me. Not one time. Our ability to genuinely assist someone in need is restrained by an unreflective and proud heart. But a heart that has reflected a heart that has been humbled and that's found empathy and sympathy for others, that kind of heart is always of use to someone else. It's only 
when we have mercy, when we approach people with mercy because of God's own mercy for us, right? It's only when we reflect him and have mercy for others and as we reflect on ourselves to honestly assess who we are and where we've gone wrong. And then as we assist, as we assist those others, that we will begin to live out the true ethic of God's kingdom. Most especially in a divided time like this, in our divided community, in our divided country, in our divided church. Let's uh, set that line of thinking aside for just a second. Kerplunk, right there. It's there, can't see it. It'll come back. We'll pick it back up. But I want to ask you something that probably will seem like it's coming out of left field. Did you know that Jesus personally prayed for you when he was walking around on earth right here like we do? Did you know that? He personally prayed for each and every one of you and me too. First, on the night before he was crucified, he prayed for himself. Then he prayed for his disciples, you know? They were about to lose him. They were scared. He prayed for them. And then he prayed for anyone who would come to believe in him through the disciples' message. That's us, Dave. You and me, man. That's us. Jesus prayed for you directly. These are his words. So he's praying to the Father, right? He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them in the same way, even as you have loved me. Let me say it very clearly. When we stand together, the good news rings true to the world. If we would stand unified, our witness to the crucified king who showed us the depths of God's mercy, it becomes valid and believable to the world. Even though we disagree, perhaps because we disagree, We disagree about what most protects life right now, about whose lives need to matter right now, but if we are bound together by God's love and mercy for us, the good news rings true to the world. How do we do it? Let me lift this right back up and bring it right back in. First thing, we have mercy for each other, right? How do we stand unified? Even if we disagree? Even if we think people have ideologies that are causing harm 
And we heavily, highly disagree with that. How do we unite? We approach that person with mercy. We plant mercy. Because when we do that, we're going to receive the fruit of whatever it is we're planting in them. We will receive the fruit of that mercy. Jesus pulls no punches here. This is our responsibility as kingdom citizens. And it's a hard responsibility. But the outrage that we feel at being asked to love our enemies, that gets quenched real quick when we reflect on ourselves. When we honestly look at ourselves and say, you know what? I'm a planker, he's a planker, she's a planker, we're all plankers. We're all in the same boat. Everyone's gone wrong somewhere along the way, including me. So if God showed me mercy and God showed this person mercy, even though I disagree with them, even though their ideologies, I believe, are very harmful to the world, if I have mercy for them and I reflect on where I've gone wrong, then I'm enabled and able to assist to join that person in conversation and if they do the same they can join me in conversation right there's unity there ask yourself how can you show mercy to the people in your life will you commit to genuinely reflecting on yourself and then offering your humble assistance to those people in need around you If so, even in this season of what feels like doom, there is so much reason to hope. So much reason to hope, you know? Imagine the kind of community that we could make if we like really did this. Imagine the connections we would create, you know? If you really approach those you disagree with, with mercy... And they approached you with mercy. Imagine those conversations where together you seek God's will for our society, for our community, for church, for your families. Together. Imagine that you could together explore what he actually desires for those in need of compassion right now, for those in need of justice and reconciliation right now. Imagine. When we stand for mercy, for self-reflection and for compassionate assistance for even those we disagree with, the good news rings true to the world. So please, I'll ask you nicely. Please, will you live out the instruction of Jesus with me this week? Try it on. Give it a shot. This week, let's not judge. Let's just throw it out the window. No ink-free news comments. Don't do it. It's just a temptation. This week, let's not judge. Let's try it. Let's be different than everybody else out there. Let's offer the world better than the best that it tries to offer. Let's offer it mercy.
Let's be a people who reflect on ourselves. And then if need be, let's humbly offer our assistance. I'd like to pray for us as we enter into ministry time. The worship team's gonna come back up and lead us in a song. Thank you for listening to me and my story of uh, the bee on my sister's eye (laughs) and all that followed. See ya.